Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the testimony of this scripture in Colossians that Paul prayed faithfully for the church. I thank you for his thankfulness and the model of prayer that it shows for us. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts now to hear your word, that you would give us the strength to apply it to our lives. And Lord, I thank you that you are faithful. You have given us the truth of the gospel. And Lord, help us to to consider that this morning, to consider that there's a reason why Christ came. It was fully intended in your plan to bring people to yourself, to redeem people from their sin. And Lord, help us to see what that looks like. And help us to reach our community with that truth of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for being a faithful and true God. You are trustworthy. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Well, I have to thank Adam for the opportunity to be here today. Uh, For those of you who are visiting, um, Adam Polk is out of town, and I would encourage you to come back next week and uh, hear him speak as well. But I I really am grateful for this opportunity. And I'm going to talk from Colossians chapter 1 this morning, and we'll get to that in a second. But my daughter Clara had her sixth birthday this year, and she wanted to have a gardening party. And so my wife Erin went to the garden center and went to go pick out some flowers to use as party favors. And uh, apparently the end of August is not the best time to look for flowers. So uh, they went and most of the flowers were gone or wilted, and the the fall flowers really weren't in yet. And so Erin went and talked to them and asked what the options were, and um, there was this set of begonias that were all wilted. And uh, Aaron said, well, it's for this little girl's birthday party. And the, the staff said, here, take these. They're free. You can have them. And um, they said, but, you know, if you just put them in some soil and give them a little bit of water, they will spring to life. And that's what they did. We used to enjoy gardening back in Texas. And I enjoyed taking a small seed and putting it in the ground or a small plant and watching the growth. You provide a little bit of care and nurturing, and God provides growth. And the nature of a plant is that it will produce fruit. That's what plants do. So we get the opportunity to see this small plant grow, and we get to enjoy the fruit of it. And that's good food. It's a blessing to receive for us. The fruit and the plant go together, and you don't get fruit without the plant. And church planting and the proclamation of the gospel go together in much the same way. 
You really don't get one without the other. It's the nature of what makes the church what it is. The church has the gospel present, and it has the gospel proclaimed. And this church is somewhat different in that respect, not in the respect of being present and proclaimed, but in respect of being planted. You know, a lot of churches uh, are planted from a very small start, and we had the blessing and uh, provision and investment of a large number of people and the selfless giving of Leonardtown Baptist Church, and that was a blessing for us here at Redeeming Grace. And they did that selflessly as a congregation to fulfill the Great Commission. And now we're at a place where we should be asking the question as we go forward, how will we as a congregation work to fulfill the Great Commission in the place where we are? So today I'm going to focus on these opening passages of Colossians chapter 1. And Paul is praying for the church in Colossae in these verses. And he was so thankful for them. In verses 3 through 8, we see his thankfulness. And in verses 9 through 14, we see his intercession on their behalf. So if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 14 verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. And indeed, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So notice he points out their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints and their hope of eternal life. Do those words maybe sound a little familiar to you? You know, faith and love and hope together. And notice that this is not a ho-hum kind of prayer. There's intentionality here. 
There's a strong emphasis on how the Colossians as a congregation are fulfilling the mission of the church in the world. And Paul wants to encourage them in that mission. In Colossians 1.27, which Amy read for you earlier, is a good summary. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he wanted them to remain faithful to that truth and to remain faithful to Christ. So we're going to talk about hope and faith and love this morning. And we're going to start with hope. Because really, the hope that we have in Christ is what enables and gives strength to our faith and love. And in the context of this letter, in the context of uh, a church that had been planted in Colossae here, this hope was proclaimed to the nations. So the context of this passage is that the gospel was spreading and churches had been planted. There was multiplication and there was gospel proclamation. But it also shows the importance of prayer. Let me reread for you verses 3 and 4. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. So what was Paul thankful for? He was thankful for their faith in Jesus Christ. And he was thankful for their love for one another. See, Paul prays that they would fulfill their calling as a church. And here we see these concepts of faith and hope and love, and they're connected to one another. You know, Paul uses them again in 1 Thessalonians, which uh, Adam will be starting a series on next month, and also in 1 Corinthians. So it's going to sound familiar, but this is not just a theological treatise. And it's not just a set of noble ideals. These are things that are tied to each other, and they characterize the church and what it's called to be. And we can learn so much from the way Paul prays for them. There's depth and there's purpose behind this prayer. And the church honors God by fulfilling that calling. So we need to be praying for the mission of the church. Let's pray with intentionality that speaks to that purpose. Placing our faith in Christ and loving one another and reaching the world with the hope of the gospel. So Paul is demonstrating for us here what focused and purposeful prayer looks like. Let's rejoice with thanksgiving when we pray. Pray for multiplication. Pray for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And ultimately, pray for the individuals that make this happen and their relationship with God and their relationships with one another. We see also that there is a historical context of the spread of the gospel. Let me reread verses 5 through 7. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. See, the context was the planning of new churches in Asia Minor. And 
in the case of the Colossians, it's likely that the gospel had gone to a new people, the Gentiles of that area. Paul had come to Ephesus and set up a, basically a mission center there. And he spent a few years preaching in Ephesus. It says that he preached daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And as he defended and proclaimed the gospel in that place, apparently there was a man named Epaphras who came to faith. And there's a couple references in a few different books, but it's likely that Epaphras took the gospel to Colossae. It very likely was his people. And by the grace of God, a church was planted there as people came to faith in Christ. And there also seems to be some connection with the churches in Hierapolis and Laodicea as well. And that would have been a more rural area, about 100 miles east of Ephesus. It was pretty far away from where Paul was preaching. But it shows that as Paul proclaimed the gospel and people came to faith, there were those who then took it to other places. And Paul may have never met them in Colossae, but he had this relationship with Epaphras, and Epaphras had been communicating with Paul, and Paul felt compelled to write this letter. And Paul has an uncertain future because he's in prison at this point, an uncertain future on this earth, that is. And he wants to strengthen the church and give them a, a vision for the centrality of Christ in all things. And he wants them to remain faithful to Christ as they go forward. And he doesn't want them to be distracted by pagan thought or unorthodox teaching. And there would be tension and temptation to turn to all kinds of other things. And Paul actually gets into some of that in chapters 2 and 3. But for most of chapters 1 and 2, he's trying to fix them firmly on Christ. So let me ask you, do we intentionally pray for the advancement of the gospel and the health of Christ's church locally and globally? The gospel message has to be in the DNA of who we are. Our faith and love is a response to the hope that we have in Christ. And we will live together And we will carry that message of the gospel to our neighbors. But this has to be God's work. And we have to learn to pray. And so I'm thankful for Paul's demonstration of prayer for us here. There's another piece to this, and that's that they heard the gospel. See, in one verse it says they heard and they understood and they learned. God had sent a messenger to them. And they heard through Epaphras, who had brought them good news. There was a relationship here. How many of you first heard the gospel relationally? Through friends or through family? Versus how many of you read a tract or a website or just picked up a book? I would guess that many of you heard through friends and family. And how can we expect to reach this community without those kinds of relationships? I'm not saying that tracts and books are not useful. They are useful. Amen. 
I'm not saying that, um, you know, other kinds of defenses of the gospel are not useful because they are. And, and God works in ways to, to combine all of these life experiences, but he seems to also work specifically through our relationships with other people. So Epaphras was a fellow servant, and we too are servants of Christ. We're the ones who will carry the message of the gospel to our neighbors. So is the message that we carry good news to you? You know, we, we fail and we sin, but God is a great God and has given us redemption in Christ. And that ought to be good news to us. So let's be like Epaphras, bringing the good news to our neighbors. And we need to be people marked by the changing work of the Spirit in our lives as we bring the good news to our neighbors. So hearing the gospel message and proclaiming it naturally, organically, is a part of who we are. Notice also that as they heard and understood and learned, their faith was not static. They were increasing an understanding of God's word. And that helped to enable their love for one another and bearing fruit. So the context of a growing church is important. But the context of is not just the only thing. We have the content of the message as well. And the content of the message was the gospel, the word of truth, and specifically their faith in Jesus Christ. So as the church goes into the world, it carries with it the truth of Christ. And simply put, the church without the gospel ceases to be the church. Think about that for a second. If you take the church and you take the gospel away, what is it? All right, so their faith was placed in Christ. When we first moved to Fort Worth, um, Aaron went to go visit some friends, and uh, the kids were playing out in the yard, and they were watering some flowers in their garden. Another garden story. And um, there was a little girl who was two to three years old at the time and wanted to help water the flowers. And uh, she would dip this cup into a bucket and pick it up and carry it over to the flowers. By the time she got to the flowers, there was no water in her cup. And I'm sure you've seen that sort of thing before. In this case, it wasn't just her fault. It wasn't that she was spilling the water. It's that there was a leak in the bottom of her cup, and all the water was gone by the time she got to the flowers. And Aaron told her, Lydia, there's a leak in your cup. And she looked at the cup. There was nothing in it. And she held it out and said, no leak. And what she was thinking about, because this family gardened a lot, is she was imagining an onion-like vegetable called a leek. And she, wasn't, she didn't have any concept in her mind of a leaky cup or what that meant. So it's a cute story, but it illustrates that words mean things. And what we carry is the word of truth. Reading verses 5 and 6 again quickly. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven... 
Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it does also among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So first we see the nature of the message, that it is the word of truth. That means that it's authoritative for our lives. And when we hear it, we need to hear it with a willingness to obey it, to submit to it, and to let it change who we are. We also see here the reach of the gospel, is that it impacts the world. This gospel is a message that was intended to reach the world. And the true word needs to reach the whole world. And in order to do that, the word needs to define who we are as a people and give us a vision and endurance to reach the community with the message of the gospel. So to continue growing in Christ, we need to be nurtured by the word. So let's read the Bible. Don't starve yourself. It's so easy to rely on our past experience of having read God's word years ago or memorized verses when we were kids. But we need God's word, and we need it continually. So I'd encourage you to get a reading plan. Uh, I brought in some uh, tracks that are really reading plans this morning and left them out on the ministry connection table. So if you're interested and want a reading plan for this year, they're sitting out there. Um, but I just encourage you to, to set a schedule and consistently read the Bible. Because I can give personal testimony that it will change you. The Spirit takes the Word of God in your life and changes you. So let's, let's memorize the fighter verses each week. You know, we, we have this um, great blessing and encouragement of, as a community, memorizing God's Word together. So let's do that. Let's take our family time and let's read the Bible, read it out loud. At the end of Colossians, in chapter 4, in verse 16, it says, And when this letter has been read among you, have it read in the church of the Laodiceans. You know, they read these books to each other, and they read it out loud. I encourage you to also read it slowly, and think about it as it's read. In chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, and all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So think about that verse. Notice that there's peace there. There's warmth. There's a community growing together in love. And the word is what nurtures the heart of love in the church. So our hearts respond to God's word in worship and love and bearing fruit. So twice in this section, the knowledge of God, in the first 14 verses of Colossians, twice there, the word, the fruitfulness of the word is tied back to God's word in your life. So don't be surprised if there's a lack of fruitfulness when there is a lack of God's word in your life. We also see the supremacy of Christ. You know, in verses 13 and 14, it talks about we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, 
in Christ. And the supremacy of Christ as a whole is a major theme throughout the rest of Colossians. But Paul's point is simple. Is Christ our hope? Because there is no other hope. We try to create other things to hope in, but only God is true. So when we consider the things that we value, it shows how finite we are. And the full extent of the perfection and goodness of Christ is made clear when placed upon the backdrop of our sin. But it's in the gospel that we find hope. We also see that the gospel is the source of our hope. In verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Let's think about the word hope for a minute. When we use the word hope in the English language, what do we usually mean? If you were to come up with a synonym, we're, we're, oftentimes we're thinking, I wish something would happen. I hope that happens. It's a verb. You're, it's conditional. You're saying, it's something I desire to happen. But here, hope isn't used that way. Hope is substantive. It stands for something. So we have a sure hope and expectation. And it's sure and it's true because it's based in God's promises. Because we know that God will do what he says he will do. So hope is not a wish, but it's a firm trust that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Let me read verses 11 and 12 real quick. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Notice he's saying something there about what the Father has done for us. He's qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So not only did they know that God would be faithful to his promises, they knew what those promises were. And simply put, our hope is eternal life. Colossians 3.3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we see how faith and hope are connected. Have you ever struggled to connect your faith and your love for others. See, there's a, a tie between the content of our f- hope, which is our faith, and the consequence of our hope, which is how we live that out in love. In verses 3 through 14, move back and forth between the two. Paul sees them as intimately connected. And the truth is that we will live in accordance with what we believe to be true. So the third major point is that we see love expressed towards one another. It's a consequence of our faith, and it's strengthened by our hope. And in in Paul's letters, you'll often see this transition from one to the other. You'll see this section about the objective truth that we believe, and then you'll see this other section about how we apply that to our lives. And Colossians does that as well, but here in these first few verses we see this back and forth between all these thoughts that are related to what we believe 
and all these thoughts that are related to how we live. So you see both the content of the gospel and the consequence, which is our love and fruitfulness. In verses 3 and 4, you see your faith, and it says your love for all the saints. In verses 5 and 6, we see the word, and it bears fruit. In verses 7 and 8, they heard, they understood, and they learned. And they loved in the Spirit. In verses 9 and 10, they were filled with knowledge, so as to walk in a manner worthy. And then again in verse 10, they were bearing fruit and increasing with the knowledge of God. So are we feeding our hearts gospel? And are our hearts responding in joy and love? You know, as imitators of God, we're to learn his ways and to obey his commands. And I know that that sounds easy, but we know that it's not because real life situations are a lot harder than that. And people sin. And when you get a bunch of sinners together, they will start sinning against each other. And we have all experienced that in our lives. And despite this, we're called to love one another. And to live love out, we have to learn forgiveness and actively work to show love towards one another. And that honors God, and it advances the kingdom. So Paul had a genuine thankfulness for the church that we see in the first few verses, in verses 3 through 8. And he had a great appreciation for who they were. They were God's people. And that's how he prayed for them. He prayed for the church as it was. And he loved them as they were, yet he prayed in a way that was looking forward to their continual growth in the knowledge of God. And do you notice the beautiful tension there between loving people where they are because of who they are and yet having a vision and purpose for the growth of the church, of the individual people in the church. So we're to love Christ's church where it is, and yet we are to desire to see it grow. And can we live that way as a people? And can we pray that way? So is there something keeping you from loving others this morning? And specifically, people who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Consider if if there's a way that God needs to work in your heart to express love. Why do you choose to serve? Or why do you choose not to serve? Or why do you openly object to serving? The mission of the church is bigger than any one of us. And ultimately, it's service to God. And we have the privilege of learning to love in community together. We learn from one another. And we also see that their love was in the spirit. He has made known to us your love in the Spirit, in verse 8. 
See, their love is enabled by the Holy Spirit. It's the product of the Spirit's work in their lives. It's not merely a human effort. It's a reflection of how God has worked in them and through them. So here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is from Colossians 3, verses 11 through 15. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. The peace of Christ needs to rule in our hearts. And we should work towards learning to live with one another. And this is the sanctification to which we've been called. To love with a selfless love that places the honor of God first and others second and ourselves last. And putting all this together, we need to place the gospel at the center of our testimony and witness. See, our love and forgiveness are an opportunity to bear witness to God's work in our lives. And as we struggle together to learn forgiveness, we need to acknowledge God's work. And this brings power to our personal testimony. The truth of the gospel is validated when we can express how it changed us, our own lives, and how we continue to live by the grace that God supplies. So how has Christ become your only hope in life and death? Can you look at what Christ has done and say, this is what Christ has done for me? Paul's whole point in Colossians is that Christ is superior to all other philosophies. It's only in him that we find true hope. And that's the power of the gospel message. It's in Christ alone that our hope is found. So is Christ your hope? If you don't know what it means to trust in Christ, then consider that we have sinned against a holy and perfect God. And God is the creator of all the world and has the right to rule and judge the world. And there will be a day of judgment. And for those who have trusted in Christ, he is no longer their judge, but their advocate. Is Christ your advocate this morning. He is a sure hope to those who trust in him. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son through whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So their love was expressed to one another. It's empowered by the Spirit. And it continued to bear fruit. We see that another product of their faith was bearing fruit. We see that twice, once in verse 6 and again in verse 10. In verse 6, which has come to you and is indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, 
And then in verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's an outcome to their faith. It was fruitful. And they drew on God's grace to do things they wouldn't have done before. It changed who they were and how they reacted to situations. We also see that their walking with God pleased the Lord. Read that again in verse 10. As to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Does it encourage you to know that God is pleased when we walk in a manner worthy God is pleased when we love and when we bear fruit. Is there anything personally that is distracting you from your true purpose? What needs to change in your own life to enable this kind of fruitfulness? So are you busy? I think we all would say we're busy. <laughs> right. Um, are you letting God's word have its full effect in your life? Are you willing to do that? So, believe it or not, all these are things that are under Paul's prayer here. And we need to learn to pray for the church and pray with thankfulness and pray with purpose. And pray that we would fulfill our calling together with hope and faith and love connected and a living testimony to the work of the Spirit in our lives. And that we would honor Christ and bear the message of the gospel to our community as a natural product of living together. So we must connect our understanding of the gospel and how we live our lives, both to honor Christ and for the good of our neighbors. Verses 28 and 29 say, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The church in Colossae was the result of the spread of the gospel through church planting. And this required effort and it required relationship it required faith and love. And as Paul prayed for them that they would remain faithful to Christ and continue to fulfill their calling, he both loved them because of who they were, and he prayed for them with a desire that they would grow. Both and. We're at a crossroads here at Redeeming Grace. You know, as both Keith and Adam each said a few weeks ago, we have a high calling and we do have a name to live up to. But the good news is that redeeming grace is God's gift. And the church bears this message to the world, and now we have the privilege and responsibility of doing the same thing in our place and time. So are we ready to take the gospel to Southern Maryland? Let's pray for Christ's church, that we would be established in love, or established in faith, and loving one another. And that we would have hope 
in Christ and that we would share that hope with our neighbors. It's the heart of what it is to be a church in the world. It's what we've been called to be. So may God grant us faith, that we'd be faithful to this calling, and together we can impact this place in the world for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for taking us who were in darkness and separated from you in making us your children. As it says in Colossians, that it's a mystery, that Christ in you, the hope of glory, that you would love us, and yet you do. It pleased you to show your kindness to us. And we are a people who are indebted to you. We are who we are because of your goodness and grace towards us. You have taken us and you have made us your own. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember that and to remember how we are who we are because of you and help us to see how we can respond to the gospel in our lives. And even though it's difficult, help us to live that out in love towards one another so that your name would be honored on this earth and glorified and that others would come to faith in you. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.